and um, it's always a blessing to be here, um, but I certainly believe that given the week that we have had, um, that through all the <laughs> afflictions and sickness that people have gone through, uh, it's been pretty intense, and uh, but it looks like a lot of you are getting better, which I thank the Lord for that. And uh, we just believe that, again, we'll put that week behind us. And uh, if you have managed to escape it, then praise God. Um, and uh, if you have come and gone through it, uh, I'm thankful that uh, you made it and the Lord has helped us. And uh, we've got a great lesson this morning. And I know I say that. Uh, I, I say that every time uh, that I that I teach. In fact, I believe that, generally speaking, every time we come into the house of the Lord, it's always a blessing uh, for us to be able to look uh, at the Word of the Lord. But I want you to turn in your Bibles this morning. I want you to turn to First Chronicles chapter twenty-two, and uh, I'm going to just kind of read a portion of this lesson here, and uh, it's about the matter of David. Uh, wanting to build the temple and uh, some of the things that uh, he went through in that uh, particular matter. Uh, but let's start in First Chronicles chapter 22, and I would like to start uh, in verse 11. The Bible says there, First Chronicles chapter 22, verse 11, it says, Now my son, the Lord be with thee, and prosper thou, and build the house of the Lord thy God as he had said of thee. Only the Lord give thee wisdom and understanding and give thee charge concerning Israel that thou mayest keep the law of the Lord thy God. And then shalt thou prosper if thou takest heed to fulfill the statutes and judgments which the Lord charged Moses with, with, with concerning Israel, be strong and of a good courage, dread not, nor, meet, nor be dismayed. Now behold, in my trouble I have prepared for the house of the Lord an hundred thousand talents of gold and a thousand thousand talents of silver and of brass and iron without weight, for it is in abundance, timber, also in the stone have I prepared that thou mayest add thereto. Moreover, there are workmen with thee in abundance, hewers and workers of stone and timber and all manner of cunning, men for every manner of work. Of the gold, the silver, and the brass, and the iron, there is no number. Arise, therefore, and be doing and the Lord be with thee. And then I want you to back up. I want to go to 1 Kings chapter 5, and let's look at uh, this from a little bit different angle. But in 1 Kings chapter 5, and I would like to look to verse 1. 1 Kings chapter 5 and verse 1. The Bible says there, And Hiram king of Tyre sent his servants unto Solomon, for he had heard that they had anointed him king in the room of his father. 
for Hiram was ever a lover of David. And Solomon sent to Hiram, saying, Thou knowest how that David my father could not build an house unto the name of the Lord his God for the wars which were about him on every side until the Lord put them under the soles of his feet. But now the Lord my God hath given me rest on every side, so that there is neither adversary nor evil or current. And behold, I purpose to build an house unto the name of the Lord my God, as the Lord spake unto David my father, saying, Thy son, whom I will set upon thy throne in thy room, he shall build an house unto my name. Now therefore command thou that they hew me cedar trees out of Lebanon, and my servants shall be with thy servants, and unto thee will I give hire for thy servants according to all that shalt thou shalt appoint. For thou knowest that there is not any, or there is not among us any that can skill to hew timber like unto the Sidonians. And it came to pass when Hiram heard the words of Solomon that he rejoiced greatly and said, Blessed be the Lord this day, which hath given unto David a wise son over this great people. And Hiram sent to Solomon, saying, I have considered the things which thou sentest to me, and will do all for thy desire concerning timber of cedar and concerning timber of fir. My servants shall bring them down from Lebanon unto the sea, and I will convey them by sea in floats unto the, unto the place that thou shalt appoint me, and will cause them to be discharged there, and thou shalt receive them, and thou shalt accomplish, and for thou shalt accomplish my desire in giving food for my household. And so Hiram gave Solomon cedar trees and fir trees according to all his desire. And Solomon gave Hiram 20,000 measures of wheat for food to his household and 20 measures of pure oil. Thus gave Solomon to Hiram year by year. And the Lord gave Solomon wisdom as he promised him, and there was peace between Hiram and Solomon and they too made a league together. And uh, again, there's a lot that's in that story. Uh, the cedars and the fir trees came from north of Israel. And uh, what they did was they put them in ships and then they sent them down uh, the Mediterranean Sea, dropped them off, and then they built uh, the temple uh, out of that. And so... I want to spend a little bit of time. We the last uh, few lessons have been uh, on the life of David, and uh, I think that David is probably one of the most. Uh, well, uh, when Brother Wells taught the lesson uh, about uh, David and Goliath, I think there's probably uh, that that all of us would probably look at David as probably one of the familiar characters uh, that is in. The Word of God. And uh, I look at the life of David, and uh, over the years, I have really uh, found that it's just one of the richest personal Bible studies uh, that you can get involved in. And uh, there, there's times whenever we come to church, 
And I, I know that y'all think that, that we are given to much wind and uh, blood, fire, and vapor of smoke while we're preaching. And, uh, and yet, really, we're only here for just a very short uh, period of time, considering there's 168 hours in the week. And so whenever we preach and teach, it's really a very small amount of time considering uh, what the Bible is about. And so because of that, there's going to have to be some effort, uh, and I do believe it's effort and work on your part to dig in uh, to the Word of God. And whenever you start digging into Scripture and studying Scripture for yourself, that's whenever it starts getting alive. And then whenever you walk in here uh, on a Sunday or a Wednesday, uh, then you're going to be a little more attuned and aware of what Brother Patterson and, and, and I are teaching uh, because there's just an inclination toward the Word uh, of the Lord. So whenever I look at David's life, uh, generally speaking, I, I break his life up into three different time zones, if you want to call them that. Uh, first of all are, the, are the, the country years. Those are the years where uh, that David spent his life tending sheep. A lot of the Psalms that are written, 75 of the Psalms, David wrote those. Uh, a number of those Psalms came to us while David was out and he was working uh, in the pasture, taking care of the sheep. And so those were the country years. Those were places where that he was pulled kind of in a place of, of I don't know that isolation is the best word, but probably solitude. And he was in a place of worship, a place of innocence, a place of protection. And so during the country years, then David learned how to worship. The next segment of his life changes after, it's almost immediately after uh, David uh, kills Goliath because what that does is that puts him in the crosshairs of Saul because you remember that the children, the women of Israel uh, started singing the songs and they started saying that, that Saul's killed his and conquered his thousands but David his ten thousands. And what that did was that put David literally in the crosshairs of, of Saul. Saul hated him. And, and so he decides, I'm going to try to kill him. You can look in the Bible and there are more than 20 times where that you can find specifically where that Saul literally tried to kill David. Now think about that for a moment. 20 plus times where that this man who is on the throne, who has a lot of resources and soldiers and people at his behest, is going to try to kill uh, David. And so what that does is that moves him out of the court year or the country years, and that moves him to what I call the cave years. And he's fleeing, he's moving around, he's going in to various caves and various places, probably the most prominent one is a place called the Cave of Adullam. But when you look at the various caves where that David uh, found himself running and hiding and going into. Now, uh, to kind of get a picture, an idea of the landscape that where that David was at uh, in the wilderness is if you are familiar at all with some of the uh, our, our troops that have been in uh, various places, Iraq, Afghanistan, 
places like that, those rocky uh, mountainous areas where the, the caves are, that's where David was at. And he was constantly fleeing into those places because he was trying to get away from Saul. And, and oddly enough, uh, David never, even though he has some opportunities to kill Saul, he does not do so. He puts his, he puts his uh, literally, he says in that song that uh, we used to sing a long time ago uh, about the battle is not mine, said little David. The battle belongs to the Lord. And if you let the Lord take care of the battles, I'm just going to tell you the Lord can take care of those battles that you have and, and all of us get in certain times of, of conflict and challenge uh, in our lives. But if we put those things in the hands of the Lord, the Lord can help us to be able to take care of those battles. So it was during the country years that David learns how to worship. But it's during the cave years that David learns how to pray. And so when you look at the Psalms, especially some of those Psalms that speaks to those places where that he was at, that he was at this particular cave. He was at, he was at Keilah. He was at Adullam. He was uh, fleeing from in, in a place called Nob. Uh, various places like that. When you match up the Psalms to those geographic events, then what happens is you start seeing the content of the prayers that David prayed during that particular period of time. And so the country years... He learns how to worship the cave years. He learns how uh, to pray. And then once Saul is out of the way, then the Bible tells us that he moves finally into that place where that he's sitting on the throne. And yet here is the part. From the time that David is anointed by Samuel until the time that he finally gathers in the entire nation of Israel that recognizes him as king, 22 years has passed, two decades. Now here's what's interesting about the anointing is whenever Samuel anoints David, what does David do? David is sent back to the pasture. And a lot of times we have the idea and thoughts that, uh, hey, Whenever I get anointed, man, I'm ready to roll. Hand me, hand me the keys to the kingdom. I'm anointed, and yet there are things that we have to learn after we have been anointed, and, and that's, what, that's what the Lord did. He put him through a school for 22 years. Uh, that there was that part where uh, that David was really in that place of being able uh, to to uh, find his part. Now you say, well, where in the world did you get all that information you just told us? Uh, it's because you study and you read the Word of God and you think about it and you pray about it and you muse and you work through it. And so the country years, cave years, and then the court years. So let me throw some books at you. And uh, I used to not do this. Uh, but I'll throw some books at you. If you have not read Alan Redpath's book, The Making of a Man of God, uh, you have missed a great blessing. Uh, that book is literally on the life of David. And uh, years ago, I wrote one of our very prominent 
uh, men uh, in our organization and uh, just expressing to him uh, appreciation for his ministry, preaching and so forth. And he sent me a letter back. I still have the copy of that letter somewhere. And uh, one of the books that he recommended for me to read, this would have been probably sometime in the early 90s, uh, he said, you need to read Alan Redpast, The Making of a Man of God. I've gone back to that book over the years time and again because there's things that that book has drawn out and that it has personally added to my life. Arthur Pink wrote a book called The Life of David. Eugene Peterson wrote another book called Leap Over a Wall. Jerry Vines wrote a book, Pursuing God's Own Heart. Uh, Chuck Swindoll, David, A Man of Passion and Destiny. Uh, another man, F.W. Krumacher, wrote a book called David, uh, The King of Israel. And all of those books, they're, they're working and helping and pulling psalms together and pulling details together to try to help you to grasp and understand. You say, well, why do you do that? Because I believe that adds depth to our worship. I believe that whenever you sing songs, when you pray prayers, when you're involved in moments of worship, when you're reading the Word of God, that all of this part that's been contributed and added in to your life, what it does is it adds depth to worship so that whenever you walk in to a service, it's not just superficial, it's not just well, we're just kind of grazing the surface here, but, but we go deep, that we decide that I'm just going to make a difference in, in, in whether it's in anybody else's life. I'm going to make a difference in my life about my understanding and grasp of what God has to do. So Acts chapter 13 and verse 22, uh, the Bible tells us that David was a man after God's own heart. And uh, that was just kind of a quick introduction uh, that I've gone through to tell you that there's a lot of things that goes into making a man that is after God's own heart. It's not always sunshine and rainbows. It's not always uh, cupcakes and birthday parties when you're serving the Lord. There's times where that you run into challenges and trials and difficulties and what are those things doing? They're teaching you how to be a man after God's own heart. And so we get to this lesson here, and the Bible tells us that uh, David, he desires uh, to build a house for God. And so in 1 Chronicles chapter 17, uh, verses 3 and 4, we find the words uh, of the prophet, and uh, his name is Nathan. And David, first of all, tells him, he says, I've got a desire to build a, a temple, to build the house of God. And, and Nathan's initial response is, is, is David, go ahead. That, that's what you need to do. You need to follow through and you need to build this temple. But then Nathan goes home and during the night, the Lord speaks to him. And whenever he's there in that night time, the Lord comes to him uh, through a dream, vision, uh, revelation. And in 1 Chronicles chapter 17, verses 3 and 4, uh, the words of the prophet comes back to David and he tells David, he says, David, he said, you shall not build a house for me to dwell in. And there are times whenever God says no. All of us, 
there will be times whenever you're service to the Lord that the Lord's just going to tell you no. He's going to say, no, I'm not interested in you getting involved in this particular matter or this particular way. I want you to realize that there are things that I have in mind that I want you to do, and it's not this particular thing that we want you to be uh, involved in. So what do you do with that matter whenever God says no? Well, I want to point some things out to you here today. First of all, whenever God says no, it's not necessarily discipline or rejection it's simply a redirection. It doesn't mean that you've done anything wrong. It doesn't mean that, that, that God is not pleased with the desire that you have in your heart. So when God says no, it's not so much rejection. It's not, and, and we sometimes we wrestle around. I feel guilt. I feel uh, this is really what I had set my heart to do. And there's times where that God says no. There, there are times in life where that, that I think that probably all of us uh, that we have mapped out the plans and uh, we've said this is the direction that my life's going to go and uh, we do that a lot uh, whenever we're young and uh, we're idealistic and uh, we haven't run square into reality yet and uh, I know that <clears throat> most of y'all in here you're already out of that category. Uh, I should probably be telling Power Supply about this, that you've got all these plans. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do this with my life, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go in that particular direction, and these are the things that I'm going to work out and map out. However, uh, the challenge is, is that whenever it doesn't come to pass the way that we think that it ought to come to pass, we have a tendency to think, what have I done wrong my plans have gone awry. They've just kind of gotten out of control. But let me just tell you what the Bible says. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse number 9. Here's what the Bible says. It says, A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Now keep in mind this. Psalm chapter 31 and verse 15. My times are in his hands. Psalm chapter 37, verse 23. Commit these verses to memory, okay? If you don't, if you don't memorize any other scriptures, keep these in mind. Proverbs 31, 15. My times are in his hands. And then in Pro, and then Psalm or, or, Pro, or yeah, Psalms 37, 23. The steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. I know you're not supposed to add to Scripture. Let me just add to Scripture just a little bit. Proverbs chapter, or Psalm 37 and 23, the steps and stops of a good man are ordered by the Lord. You been there? My steps, Lord, I know you're ordering, but sometimes we forget that our stops, they're just as much ordered by the Lord as well. So, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9, A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. Turn over a few pages and look at Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 24. The <coughs> Bible <clears throat> says there, Man's goings are of the Lord, 
How can a man then understand his own way? Your goings, they're of the Lord. How can you understand his own way? I believe that a lot of that has to do with the Word of God. Your commitment to what the Bible has to say. Turn over a few more pages. I want you to look to Isaiah chapter 46. Isaiah chapter 46. I want you to look with me to verse 10. The Bible says there, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. I don't have time to camp out. I'd love to camp. I wish I had three hours. And I know y'all think, dear God, three hours. But I do. I wish I had three hours, but I don't. So... Uh, but go home and think about that, all right? Not the three-hour part, but the Scripture. Um, Isaiah 46 and 10. Turn over a few more pages. I want you to look to Jeremiah chapter 10, and I want you to look to verse 23. Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 23, the Bible says this, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself, it is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. And you say, well, I thought you said you map it out and you plan it out. We do. We plan. And yet, what does the Lord do? The Lord takes those desires. He says, here's what I'm going to do. I see your heart, and so I'm going to channel them in the direction that they need to go. So... We need to listen to the Lord on a daily basis. Don't get locked in to a place and think <clears throat> that this is the only way for God to work. So if God puts a roadblock in front of you, it doesn't mean that God has forgotten about you. It just means that what you need to do is to stop and to look around and say, is it to the right or to the left that I'm supposed to go? Or am I just to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord? That's where that service to the Lord really has its greatest bearing. Is that the character is really tested whenever God stops and when God says no. Number two, when God says no, God does not call everybody to build temples. He just does it. And I can say this, one of the challenges with the Pentecostal movement is that most everybody feels like they're called to preach. Let's <coughs> all cough and clear our throats two or three times. But just listen, everybody's not called to preach. Uh, somebody sent me a link to Brother Jimmy Tony preached a message up at a conference here a few days ago. And uh, while he was preaching, he told a story. He said that there was a guy that came up to him. I don't know where this was at. But he said somebody come up to him and said, Brother Tony, Brother Tony, I'm called to preach. And Brother Tony said before he even had a chance to respond, he said, no, you're not. <laughs> and he said, oh, oh yeah, bro Brother Tony, I'm called to preach. He said, no, you're not. You're, you're not called to preach. So, well, Brother Tony, how, how do you know I'm not called to preach? He said, because you're lazy. And he said... <laughs> I couldn't believe I was saying this to this guy. He's like, I'm called to preach, but no, you're not. He said, well, I, I, he said, well first of all, I know this. You, you won't hold a job down, and you can't supply for your family, 
and you don't even fulfill common responsibilities at a church. So I'm just telling you now that God doesn't call lazy people to preach. And that's true. God doesn't call lazy people to anything. What does God do? God calls busy people to accomplish things. And so if you're always out in this dream world about what I'm going to do for God and, and what God's going to work out and et cetera and so forth, what you've got to determine is this, is that God does not call everybody to build temples. And sometimes one of the hardest things to hear is that God is going to use somebody else to do what you thought was your objective. Now David's response, and I'm not going to read it, I'm just going to I'll tell you about it and you can go home and take a look at it for yourself. David's response is pretty incredible. It's in 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verses 18 through 29. And ultimately, uh, what we find out there is that bold in to a nutshell, here's what David uh, really comes out and he says, what dream, no dream, plans, no plans. Here's the one thing I know. I know I'm blessed. Whether God lets me accomplish this particular thing or not, at the end of the day, what I know is that literally I am blessed. The third thing, and I'll run through these this one quickly. Uh, when God says no, it means that he has a better way and he expects me to support that better way. And then the last thing that I'll say about that is whenever God says no, is that my best reaction is cooperation and humility. And I've been around enough, and I've seen this happen in local churches. I've seen this happen at a sectional level. I've seen it happen at a district level. And I have seen it happen at a national level that whenever God told somebody no, that they just decided, I'm going to plow ahead and I'm going to do it anyway, and it came, it came out to a massive disaster. And so if the Lord says no, don't go in that direction, then the best thing that we can do is to cooperate and have some humility about where we're at because here's the part. God knows the future. Now, if you read this and look at it chronologically, that while the Lord is talking to David, we're in 2 Samuel chapter 7. When you move forward four chapters later, 2 Samuel chapter 11, that is where David's great sin with Bathsheba takes place. And yet here he is, he's wanting to build a temple, and the Lord is saying, I know your future and I know what you're about to get involved in. I'm going to save you. There's going to be massive chaos that's going to take place with your sin. I'm going to save you. But here's the part. There's a reason that I'm telling you that you cannot build this temple. Now, I want you to look. Uh, let's turn back. And let's go back to 1 Chronicles chapter 22. And I want to look uh, at verse 8. 1 Chronicles chapter 22 and verse 8. Uh, here is what the Bible says. 1 Chronicles chapter 22 
in verse 8. Um, help if I got out of 2 Chronicles. 1 Chronicles chapter 22. And look there at verse 8. Here's what he says. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Thou hast shed blood abundantly, and hast made great wars, and thou shalt not build an house unto my name, because thou hast shed much blood upon the earth in my sight. Now, warriors are intended to battle wars. Worshippers are intended to build temples. And if warriors build houses of worship, then there's always going to be an element of war that's involved in that temple. And so God, in His grace, He says, here's what I want you to do, David. You can't build this, but instead, what you are going to do is you're going to prepare, and we read some of this, where that David put together all of these things, and he said, Solomon, I can't build the temple but I can put together all of the material for you to be able to build this place. Now, I'm just going to ask all of us here this morning. There are things that you are building right now with your life, and they have a trickle-down effect. They have a trickle-down effect to the next generation, and they have a trickle-down effect even to the generation thereafter. And the question is this, is what kind of preparation or what kind of supplies are you leaving that's coming to that next generation? Those are some crucial questions. Those are some things that I need to ask myself, not on a weekly or monthly basis, but on a daily basis. To ask myself, what, what am I leaving uh, to my children what am I leaving to my grandchildren? What am I leading, leaving to the people in this church? What, what kind, and it's more than just, some people say, well, I'm concerned about my legacy. You find presidents that get caught up in that, that even recently, some pre, they're worried about what kind of legacy they're, they're leaving. I, I'm not so much interested in that. I'm interested in what kind of heritage am I leaving for those that are coming along behind me. Now, this is just a good bump and direction for you uh, to kind of take a look at. But in 1 Chronicles chapter 22, all the way through chapter 29, these are the details that concern the temple order. Some of that has to do with the people that served in the temple, some of that has to do with the materials that was used in that. But yet God thought that it was important that whenever His Word was God-breathed, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable, it's breathed out. And so what does God do? God says, here's the thing, I'm going to take... And I'm going to show you, and you say, well, all I'm reading is a bunch of names and a bunch of this and that and the other and this tribe and that tribe and, and the sons and, and the so-and-sos and the daddies and the, and the, and the cow or the, the, the donkeys and, and various things. like that's, what I, that's all I'm reading. What is God doing? He's establishing, he's saying there's order. 
There's things that takes place in this matter of worship. Now, if God was meticulous enough to put that in His Word, and you think, man, that's just a bunch of boring details. The book of Numbers, oh, that's just a bunch of boring details. What does that tell me? That tells me there's a meticulous nature about the matter of that whenever I come in here to worship or whenever I come in to pray, it matters what took place Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. It matters the condition of my marriage. It matters the condition of my relationships. It matters the kinds of words that have come out of my mouth because worship is not just confined to a two-hour period on Sunday morning or a two-hour period on Sunday night or an hour and a half on Wednesday night. Worship is something that there's order that needs to be in our daily lives. And there, there has never been a generation that had as many resources at our hands to be involved in in studying the word of the Lord. I'm, I'm telling you this playlist that you can create with Apple Music and Spotify and Pandora. I know some of y'all think I'm speaking in Greek when I call those things out. But Spotify, Pandora, uh, Air One Worship, uh, these places where that you can, what, what do they do? If you work them in the right way, then you don't have to listen to Charlie Daniels band singing about going down the devil went down to Georgia. Some of the younger ones, they don't even know what that song's about. The song came out when I was in the sixth grade. That was in 1979. Sometime around about that period of time. Okay? Uh, but, but you get what I'm saying. You, you, you can waste your mind on uh, Britney Spears. Uh, or, or Taylor Swift. Now, I don't know any, if they was playing her song, one song right now. I, I would have no idea. But I just know she's got a lot of fans and they call them Swifties. Okay? So, you want to be a Swifty? Or, 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 do you want to be, or do you want to be a worshiper? It's a matter of choice. And, and so all of these resources that we have, that, that we ought to take them and use them to our advantage. And so there's order that comes to worship. So the details that are given to David and then passed on to Solomon, they were, here's the part, and you find this word even whenever Moses is on the mountain and he's getting the law. Now, sometimes we think, well, he's just getting the law. He just got the Ten Commandments. But that's not the case. Remember, Moses was up on that mountain. He, he saw all sorts of things. And one of the things that the Lord gave him was the plans for the tabernacle. And, and there, the Bible speaks of a pattern speaks of that in the Old Testament. And then when you fast forward to the book of Hebrews, it, there, there's a pattern. There's a way, there's a, there's a thing about this matter called worship. Now, I know that, I was just talking to Brother Sanford about this before church this morning. Um, why, why is it that churches, and I wasn't talking about this specifically, but 
Why is it that churches, especially apostolic Pentecostal churches, that they get into the second and third generation and then they start drifting? It's because somewhere in the transfer zone, whenever those runners were running and they, the, the one runner passes the baton on to that next runner, that somewhere in the transfer zone, the baton got dropped. Now, if you know anything about relay racing, you know that if the baton is dropped, then that team is disqualified. You, you can't just pick the baton up and, and continue to run. Once the baton is on the ground, that team is disqualified. Even if they, if they, if they pick it up and they run and they catch up, and they pass everybody and they come in first place. If the baton is dropped, then that team's disqualified. There's a troubling book that I have uh, read and reread. It's called Destroyed Kingdoms. And uh, what it's about is it profiles uh, some of the largest Pentecostal churches uh, that, that most of us in here would be familiar with. And they leave them anonymous so you don't know uh, what takes place but what they do is they did a case study and they're looking back and they say what was it that caused those churches to find a way where that thing started going south and generally speaking now some of it you read the book and you think well these people are just nostalgic and they you know got upset with about the way that the different things were changed around and moved around and, and whatever okay I, I, I grant I get that okay but what happened is whenever the transfer came from generation to generation there was a loss number one on the importance of doctrine number two there was a de-emphasis of prayer Number three, there was a de-emphasis on separation from the world. And I'm just going to tell you this. When you get a mixed multitude into a church and it starts getting watered down, and the first place that it starts getting watered down is right here. That, that's why you need courageous men preaching the Word of God. That, that's why you need people that say, you know what? It doesn't matter. I, I'm just going to tell you the truth. And again, you've heard me say this a thousand times. We want our doctors telling us the truth, but we don't want preachers telling us the truth. Tell me about this tumor that I've got. Tell me about this malady I've got. Tell me about this sickness that I have. Doctor, tell me the truth. But, Pastor, those things are a little hard. I, I don't want you to tell me that. Here's the deal. We better have a love for the truth. I, I, don't, I don't mean just, just, you know, oh, yeah, that's, that's kind of what we believe. Turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and I want you to look with me uh, to verse 9. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and look with me to verse 9. Here is what the Bible says. The Bible says this, Even him 
whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders, with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. Now let's work through these two verses. Number one is this. They had the truth. These people were in the church. Okay? They had the truth. They were in the church. They were looking for the return of the Lord. So what happened? They did not have a love for the truth. Do you love this new birth message? Do, do you love this? You say, oh, y'all make a big deal out of baptism. Do you love the way that the apostles practice baptism in the book of Acts? Do, do you love the call from separation from this world? Do you love the call to prayer? Because if you don't love the truth, oh, well, I know the truth. If you do not love the truth, you will be deceived. You're going to be deceived. At some point, you're going to run into something and you're going to start, you're going to start vacillating. Well, you're telling me if, if people don't adhere to what this Bible says and the Bible way, then they're going to be lost? They, they, they are. They are. Now, now, here's the part, okay? I'm just the guy that's just telling you what's in the Bible. I didn't write it. I didn't breathe it out. This book was here before I got here. This book will be here when I'm gone. But I love this truth. And if there's ever time where you think, man, he's got a bad attitude, Give me a break. Let me tell you why I want you to give me a break. It's because I love the truth. And when you love something, you've got some conviction about it. You start messing around with my wife. You start messing around with my children. And you really start messing around with my little grandchildren. Okay? I know they're a little terrorist and they, okay? All right? But you start messing with them. Why, why are you going to be protective is because you love them. That, that's what's got to happen to the church. You say you're straining at gnats and swallowing camels. No, I doubt it. Because here's what I know. I know that if you walk into this place and that if you submit yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm telling you now, that God can so transform from where you are right now this morning and a year from now, you won't even recognize who you are. Why is that? Because there'll be worship pouring up out of your heart and your spirit. You'll think, oh dear God, I didn't know I could pray like this. I didn't know I could understand the word of God like this. Why, why do you say that? It's because I've been here my whole life and I can look at what God has done in so many people's lives and some of them we've already buried and they're over on the other side. And I intend to get there. And you gotta have a love for the truth. You gotta have a love for the truth. 
And so let's look at some more scripture in the last seven minutes. Oh, I wish I had three hours. I, I, I can't, Brother Pierce. Romans chapter 16, and look at verse 18. Romans chapter 16 and verse 18. Here's what the Bible says. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. Be careful about good words, fair speeches. Be careful about big buildings. Be careful about big crowds. Be careful about cool choirs. Be careful about charismatic preachers. Be careful because they can deceive you. Turn over a few pages and look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2. Here's what Paul writes. He says, but 2 Corinthians, I love the pages turning, okay? I know we got them on the boards or the screens. All right, don't y'all let these screens make y'all lazy, okay? Bring your Bible. I love to hear those pages turning. I really like to see marked up Bibles, but anyways. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, listen to me. He said, I, I could have preached to you dishonestly. I could have walked in craftiness. I could have handled the word of God deceitfully, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to tell you the truth because I believe the truth can save you. All right, so let's back up. And I want to go to the Old Testament, and I want to look to Psalm 81. I've told you bunches of times, there are scary verses in the Bible. This is another one of those scary verses. Psalm 81. I want you to look with me to verse 11. The Bible says there, Psalm 81, verse 11, But my people would not hearken to my voice, and Israel would none of me. So I gave them up unto their own heart's lust, and they walked in their own counsels. You can believe anything you want to believe. You can listen to the talking heads who are telling us now that gender is fluid. It's not fluid. It's not. G gender is fluid. Well, same-sex marriage, that, that's, that's, that's okay. But the Word of God says otherwise. And yet increasingly you feel in the minority. You feel like that when you're at work, you're like, I, I better be careful about what I'm having to say. So what's taking place in our nation? Psalm 81, people wouldn't listen to the Lord's voice. The United States would hear none of it. So I gave them up to their own heart's lust and they walked in their own counsel. 
I'm gonna, I'll just say this. I am not smart enough to save myself. That's why I've got a book. That's why that the Lord has brought this. And so you say, okay, so what are we going to do with these people that are in this place? I'll tell you what I'm going to do. We're going to love those people. And when they walk in here, we're going to sing and we're going to pray. Because when they walk in this house, they're going to be like, oh my Lord, I feel something. I feel the presence of God. I hadn't felt this before. You start saying, this isn't something I contrived. This isn't something that I worked up. What took place? Well, there's a bunch of old saints that are praying in the background. It's a bunch of people that have been committed to the truth for years on end so that when they walk in here, they're like, all of a sudden, they're like, I, I feel the presence of the Lord. I feel convicted of my sin. Now, what am I gonna do? I'll tell you what you do. You turn your heart in the direction of the Lord and then what does God do? I promise you, he'll start working in your heart and in your spirit. And there'll be something that the Lord can do inside of your life. And you'll say, this is what I've been looking for. I can't find it in a relationship. I can't find it in a drink. I can't find it in a drug. But I know this, my soul, it doesn't magnify the Lord. It magnifies the Lord. I want us to stand this morning. Why don't you just lift your hands to the Lord? Why don't you just open your mouth right now and just worship the Lord while we transition this service. Lord, I thank you for your presence. I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, Lord, for your goodness, Jesus. I thank you, Lord, for the spirit. And Lord, that you have moved into this house. And I pray, Lord, today. Then God, that every person, Lord, that has walked into this sanctuary, that there would be a touch of your spirit, Lord, in their life. And that God, that you would be able to do great things and be able, Lord, to somehow, God, completely transform and change our lives. I pray that today in Jesus' name. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that. Oh, Jesus, transform us here in this place. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name.